Welcome to the CompTIA BizTech Podcast, where we talk with industry leaders across our communities and councils to discuss business challenges, opportunities, and strategies for success. Hello, and welcome to our CompTIA BizTech Podcast Series brought to you by your CompTIA Business of Technology communities worldwide. My name is Gary Bixler, Vice President of Member Communities at CompTIA, and as always, excited to be your host for our podcasts. Each week in this podcast, we're going to be bringing you a new and interesting topic related to uh, the business of technology, and each of those podcasts will be brought to you by one of our unique CompTIA member communities from around the world. Today, we're fortunate to have Yvette Steele with our Attracting Tech Talent and Diversity community, really kicking off a four-part series for us uh, that's going to be really interesting called Culture Shift. So I want to bring in Yvette now. Yvette, welcome to the BizTech Podcast. Uh, absolutely. This is probably one of the most exciting uh, parts of the work that I do is creating this uh, content that um, I think really resonates with our uh, with our community members, uh, with our podcast uh, listeners, and um, and I get to meet so many cool people. So uh, this subject, culture shift, is uh, by all means um, no different. It's I think it's timely. It talks about uh, what people are thinking about and helps them um, frame information to help them process all the, the things that are going on as it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion right now. Right. I definitely agree. So timely. And such a great topic. And to your point about meeting great people, you've got some great guests uh, with you on that podcast. Before we introduce them and kind of get started, <clears throat> I just wanted to ask you, last time we talked, we talked a little bit about your writing and the fact that this has given you an opportunity uh, to do a little more writing and kind of use your, your writing muscles, as it were. Um, I know in quarantine, we're all kind of trying new things and expanding uh, new things. We talked to Miles Jobjin last uh, last time about his learning piano. Uh, I understand you're kind of trying to branch out a little bit in your culinary skills. Talk us to us a little bit about kind of some of the new uh, food areas or recipes that you're experimenting with. Um, absolutely. I have to say that, you know, certainly being quarantined does give you more time to explore passions that you've, you know, put on the back burner, um, stuff that I thought that I would do when I retired kind of thing. I'm a baby boomer. So, um, you know, re retirement is within uh, arm's reach for me. But I'd, I'd have to say that um, I also have a gluten allergy. So um, I'm and I miss banana bread banana walnut bread specifically. So um, I'm considering, um, I've been looking up gluten-free recipes. I want to get uh, better at more gluten-free uh, baking. So I want to do that. And also the quarantine has, um, even though I work out, has, I'm still picking up pounds. So I'm thinking that I might want to expand my taste buds into more plant-based uh, type of meals and um, looking forward to trying to figure out what that might look like, put my own personal spin on it. Right. Wow. Well, that sounds pretty ambitious. Yeah. We um, try to be mostly gluten-free in our household as well. My wife has a, an intolerance. I tell people that doesn't really make her sick, but it makes her mean. So we try to avoid <laughs> So, um, 
Yeah, food is important. I, I don't think we understood or appreciated when we were younger how much what you put in your, your body affects how you feel uh, and how you perform. So I think we're starting to get a lot more uh, appreciation of that. All right. Well, um, talking about food is making me hungry. So let's transition to the topic at hand that you introduced a little bit about uh, this uh, culture shift. Tell us about kind of what's on tap for this first edition or first uh, installment of this culture shift series. Well, uh, we're going to be uh, specifically talking about um, talent untethered, <laughs> which focuses on the remote workforce. We want to uh, share things about um, how to uh, grow your talent pipeline um, and accessing workers beyond your backyard through a remote first mindset, uh, talk about employee wellness and, um, and, and just being able to leverage um, all of the advantages that a remote team can bring, uh, but also pointing out to you what those advantages are and, um, you know, like what too are some of the lessons learned from managing a remote workforce um, now that so many organizations have been forced to do that. So, um, you know, that's, that's what uh, part one is all about. So if you're, um, if you have a remote workforce and want to make sure that uh, you're being mindful of, of their, of their wellness and their productivity, um, and then how to also leverage that to expand your business, uh, you definitely want to listen in on um, talent untethered. Awesome. That sounds great. Sounds like a great topic. So that why don't you introduce your guests and let's get started. Okay, um, so for this segment, we have uh, Rachel McGinnis, the Chief Vitality Officer of Wake Up With Zest, uh, Suzanne Tedrick, the Cloud Engineer from IBM, and uh, Carl Polichuk, Owner Small Business Thinker, and Jill Chapman, a Senior Performance Consultant in Sparity. So we've got a lot of um, stellar talent whose, um, whose expertise is certainly well aligned to be able to share some really good insights on uh, leveraging your remote workforce. This is Yvette Steele, community leader of CompTIA's Advancing Tech Talent and Diversity Community. Welcome to our series, Culture Shift. Company culture affects every aspect of our business from talent acquisition and management to product development and sales to employee engagement and wellness. What worked yesterday may not work so well today and definitely won't work tomorrow. Long story short, shift happens. Our world has been rocked by recent events of social injustice and the effects of COVID-19, causing cultures around the world to shift. Organizations are facing new challenges from how to lead remote workforces to optimizing their current talent to meet the needs and demands of customers and uh, understanding what diversity, equity, and inclusion means in the organization. Now that the world uh, that we're accustomed to has been disrupted, people are looking for solutions, asking more questions, creating new alliances, and wondering how to do more. Like never before, so many people are finally open to listening and more importantly, receptive to change. I'm an African-American female baby boomer and I've seen a lot of things, lived through a lot of things, but I've never seen a time like this where people are actually focused on the things that I care about, things that keep me up at night. And I have to say that I'm liking this time of renewal 
where people are self-reflecting and leaders are learning to be more inclusive. But I've got a confession. I'm afraid. I'm afraid that after the questions are answered and we've had our conversations about race in the workplace, we'll realize that this was just a moment in time and not a movement toward permanent change. I'd like to see a culture where this interest becomes a norm, like enjoying a morning cup of coffee. Shift is happening, and it's not only at an individual level, but at an organizational level. Here to help us navigate through the shift are four industry thought leaders. Rachel McGinnis, Chief Vitality Officer, Wake Up With Zest. Suzanne Tedrick, Cloud Engineer, IBM. Carl Polichuk, Owner, Small Business Thinker. And Jill Chapman, Senior Performance Consultant, Insperity. And they're going to help us understand more about culture shift and how leaders must listen and adapt behaviors and processes in pursuit of great service to others. In addition, help employees derive more meaning from work, tap into individual emotion, and fuel collective action. Thank you all so much for being here. Let's begin by having you each introduce yourselves and what you do at your organization. Let's start with you, Rachel. Well, hello everyone. As you can tell from my accent, I'm based in the UK. And uh, my company is Wake Up With Zest and I look after the well-being of all sorts of different organizations. So I'm doing workplace well-being. And I'm looking after people with my four pillars of vitality, which are improving their sleep, eating a healthier diet, getting fitter and being more resilient, which really means looking after your stress levels, your anxiety levels, and also your mental health. Uh, I work with people doing talks and workshops, and also uh, I have a, an online wellbeing program as well. So that's me in a nutshell. That's good to hear. Um, Suzanne. Thank you so much, Yvette. Uh, so I'm Suzanne Tedrick, and uh, as you said, I'm a cloud engineer for IBM. I essentially help uh, my customers as well as our sales teams understand uh, not only the, the business benefits of cloud computing, but as well as the technical benefits as well. And so I partner with them to understand their landscape, understand their ideal state, and go through the journey with them to get to their ideal state, uh, whatever that may look like. You know, um, Suzanne, and you also authored the book, Women of Color in Tech. Tell us what prompted you to pen that book. Yeah, uh, so um, I did recently author the book for Wiley. Uh, the book was largely to help inspire and inform women of color of the many different tech careers uh, that exist um, and to help them to know that uh, they are not only capable of having successful tech careers, but they're desperately needed uh, to help form the tech industry and to solve the most pressing uh, problems that our society is facing together. Uh, so it was really a, a wonderful opportunity to be able to do that. And uh, I, I hope it inspires many. Yeah, I've just started reading it and I can't wait uh, to get to the other side. So thank you so <laughs> much for, for being such a help and inspiration uh, to the technology industry. Carl, let's get to know you. Thank you. Let me just 
preface this by saying I interviewed Suzanne and I bought her book so I could read it before the interview. And it is a truly great resource, not just for women of color, but for anyone who's looking for a job. So I, I hope that the second half of the year, uh, when unemployment goes up, that a lot of those people will reach to this new resource filled with massive information and resources. So that's just Thank side you. plug. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. All that. Uh, so I built and sold a couple of IT service businesses in Sacramento, California. And I currently write books and help train IT consultants to be more successful on the business side of business. So to that end, I have an online community and uh, try to do podcasts and other things that are useful. And I'm grateful to be involved in this community with CompTIA. Thank you, Jill. Great, thank you so much for, for inviting me to participate. My name's Jill Chapman. I'm a senior performance uh, consultant at Insperity. And basically my job is to help change lives. Um, uh, as a senior performance consultant, I work with small businesses around the country, um, particularly along the lines of talent acquisition. Having been a small business owner myself, um, I think that we kind of come to this with a, uh, a certain understanding of the challenges and uh, the rewards of doing talent acquisition the right way. Uh, so that's my goal, is to help small and medium-sized businesses around the U.S. with their talent acquisition needs. Wow. Um, thanks, Jill. And, you know, um, in, in light of recent events and, and movement towards social change, uh, let's frame what we mean by culture shift and the return on investment for doing so. Jill? Can you fill us in? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, so, you know, when I think about culture, I've often described it as um, the wind, right? You can see the wind, uh, or you can't see the wind, but you can feel it, um, you know it's there. And when it's working in your direction, when culture is working for you, it, uh, it's smooth sailing. But um, if it's not, uh, then there's rough waters ahead, or it's not as easy as, as it can appear. I, I think that as we've begun to see these uh, impressions forming uh, on our organizations, you're, you're, you're starting to watch um, uh, the way that we've always done it not be adequate enough anymore, right? And some of the changes that are being asked of our organizations, they run uh, counter to the way that we've been talking about efficiencies and uh, doing things, operational effectiveness and those sorts of things. These new ideas are innovative for our organizations. It means that we have to look at things very, very differently. Um, and, and that's a sticky, weird spot for, uh, for a lot of folks. And so in making some of these changes, it's, it's becoming very, very difficult, I think, um, with some of our leaders because it's, it's moving them into a place that's not as comfortable. But I, I can say this, everybody has to be involved in this shift, um, everybody from the leaders on down. But I, I also think I want to communicate that it can't be a mandated shift from the leadership. It's gotta be felt in the hearts uh, and in the minds of those people who are doing the work, right? So this has got to be a, a collective uh, change towards the future. You know, it's funny. There was a cartoon recently where 
This guy said, I want a happy, carefree culture in this company and I want it by Friday. You know, and it's it sort of points out in at one hand, culture does have to come from the top down, other you know, otherwise it grows from the bottom up. But you have to be intentional, but you also have to basically be what you say you are, right? If you're the manager, if you're the boss, you have to work hard to maintain a culture in a very remote environment. Um, but it has to be sincere. People can see through insincere culture shift in a second. And I think when it's remote, it's way easier for people to be a little leery about uh, attempts to shift culture. Um, so you just, I mean, you gotta do what you say you're gonna do, in, in my opinion. And again, comes from the top down. So you have to, you have to decide what you want your company to be. And then you gotta make the effort to touch all of those remote workers and help them feel part of the, you know, the family basically. Yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, leaders are needing to learn to be more inclusive now and um, changing their behavior such that uh, they're leading by example so that their organization knows that the commitment comes from the top and they can model the behavior of the leader. And going forward, um, it's, it's certainly going to be critical in the in the success of a culture shift for leaders to adopt inclusive behaviors. So Suzanne, I, I want to talk um, about when you're building your talent pipeline and how adopting a remote first mindset can be a competitive advantage, right? You can access the best talent from around the world, uh, innovate faster, enjoy a more engaged workforce, and generate more diverse ideas by giving everyone a voice online. However, you can kiss all of those benefits goodbye if you don't shift the culture to align with the desired outcome. So uh, Suzanne, what steps can leaders take to ensure that organizational culture is conducive to the success of remote employees? That's a great question. I, I think they have to be um, very intentional about their their actions. So in terms of diverse groups, leaders should make sure that they you know, do check-ins with their employees to make sure that they're doing well. Um, if they're not, what can they do to help them, be it from a, a mental health standpoint or otherwise, um, but not to uh, micromanage or demand that you be accessible 24 seven, uh, there's got to be the fine line of, okay, this is going to be the times that I expect you to be available if something should happen. If there's an emergency, you know, I'll give you a call, but, you know, making sure that there is that fine line between this is your work and this is your, your personal life. Because if a employees, you know, millennial employees specifically love having work from home options, but they don't want to feel as if they're, you know, on a leash or they're constantly being micromanaged or looked at. Um, and then those things build into the culture. If they think that the culture is one where my boss doesn't trust that I will get said work done or carry things out, um, they're not going to want to stick around. Uh, so managers have to be very cognizant of just, you know, definitely do touch points, but not to this, this sense that they're excessive 
or, you know, burdensome to the employee, like really nurture and cultivate that relationship. I think it's about communication, which is exactly what you just said, Suzanne. But uh, because I think the two things that we saw uh, as the pandemic began to unfold is it was almost as though management went into two camps. Those that were micromanaging and couldn't trust their employees um, when they couldn't see them. So they were constantly pinging them, asking them what's going on and what are they doing. Or we had the other side, which the manager was missing in action. Uh, we probably, when we were all in the in the workplace, it was okay that I didn't interact with my manager every day, every moment of every day, but I knew that she was sitting in her office down the hall, right? But now that we're working from home, it's, it's as though management like fell into two different camps. Um, and that's going to be something I think can I say the words post-pandemic? I don't, you know, I don't know when that's going to happen for us, but, but as we start to emerge from this and move into a new way of working, those are some of the areas that I think our managers are, 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 and leaders are going to have to work on, uh, is that finding that balance of how to interact with my remote workforce that is productive um, and connected. Uh, and, and I think it all boils down to that idea of communication getting that communication right between each employee. How much do you need? How much is too much? How much is not enough? And agreeing on, um, agreeing on those terms, I think it's going to be the secret sauce uh, to being successful in this new way of working. Yeah, and I think from my point of view, from mental health and well-being, that um, if employees have a tool, something like Tiny Pulse or uh, other employee engagement tools where they can... Um, give feedback, um, maybe it's, it's confidentially, uh, as to how they want to work and how they're feeling as well. So there is some sort of directive from, from the management. But here in the UK, uh, and these were stats before the pandemic started, um, poor mental health costs, the UK economy, $56 billion. You times that by five and a half, which is the population of the USA, and that's $300 billion a year. And that's set to increase uh, because of the pandemic, a lot more people are working uh, remotely now. Uh, they're also, um, you know, feeling the fallout from from what's uh, happened, and also, you know, the the um, social change that's also happening in the in the world. Um, but also, I think um, people have to sort of watch out for uh, a culture of presenteeism where they're kind of, they're, they're working, but they actually should be off sick, but they're afraid to take the time off. Or leaveism, where they're always switched on. And there's no sort of disconnect from work. So maybe it's up to their managers or team leaders to actually sort of look at, you know, if, if they can sort of see there, there are problems. You know, what time are people sending emails? Is it very late at night or early in the morning? Are they working in different time zones? So do they need to take time out to rest? So I think there's a lot going on with um, what we've just gone through where people have been thrown into the, the remote working situation, but also um, going forward, uh, recruiting people as remote workers as well and what kind of culture you want your organization to have. Um. Those are such good uh, points, Rachel, and, and thank you for that. Um, you know, another thing that I'd like to add that I've seen work really well in this shift is when managers lead by objective. So 
rather than expecting you to be at your desk from eight to five every day working, I mean, let's face it, that's, that's no longer possible, right? But um, managing a remote team by objective where they know at the end of every day, at the end of every week, these are the things that have to be done. So whether, you know, you're managing kids, managing, um, you know, elderly parents, um, they are allowed the space to get their work done at whatever time is conducive to their lifestyle. Um, I, I think managers are coming to realize that they can get a lot more out of, it, um, out of their teams by just stepping back and trusting them to do the work and, and leading by objectives. So, um, you know, you know, this pandemic is, is just, I can I say it's 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 not going away anytime soon. So, you know, so Carl, um, I'm just curious, since the pandemic, we've learned that managing remote workers is a completely different animal than what we're used to. It requires leaders to adopt a different way of thinking about the employee experience and engagement, um, as well as their performance. So whether an an organization had to um, embrace remote culture for the first time or expand an existing policy. This transition is fraught with uh, mishaps and missteps. So let's talk about that transition and the lessons we've learned and how they impact business going forward. So, you know, it's interesting because our industry, IT, we have been doing more and more remote work since literally the beginning of when it was possible. I remember the first ads for laptops were that, you know, oh, you could do your, your work on the beach, right? I don't know anybody who actually does that, but, you know, it sold a lot of laptops. Um, well, Jill does because she lives in Hawaii, but, <laughs> but you know, the, the idea that you can work remotely is so ingrained into our industry. Uh, you know, I don't know anybody who works in IT that is 100% in the office. I think that's a very rare thing. Uh, it's much more common to have at least a day here, a day there, uh, three days a week, something. Uh, my business has been mostly what you would call remote uh, for the last five years, simply because I travel so much that why should I make my employees come to the office when I'm not even gonna be in town, right? And so, um, in our case, we were lucky to have all those systems in place, but to some of the discussion we just had, I would say one of the biggest lessons that you can have as a manager is to be focused on the outcome, not the process, right? And, you know, everybody's got a different management style, but for me to be able to have a tool where I can go online and, and say, you know, to Kara, you know, one of my uh, people, like I need this and I need it by the end of August. Um, here are the requirements, right? She's got everything there, everything she needs to do to do the job. And as she's making progress, she puts those notes online. I don't need to monitor her keyboard or have a camera on. You've seen this where people actually wanna see their employees sitting in front of a monitor. <laughs> it's like, that is micromanagement that doesn't actually produce any productivity where if you let people go and have a little freedom, obviously you have to hire good people, but you don't have to monitor every tiny thing. And of course, that's my management style. I am not a micromanager, um, but I also hire people who don't wanna be micromanaged. 
we have to admit there are people who must be micromanaged. They are only comfortable when somebody checks in on them on a regular basis. They're only comfortable sitting in an office. If they're at home, they spend all their time in the kitchen or the backyard and they don't get much work done. So everybody's different and you've got to hire people to fit the culture that you want. And then you have to manage it again, like we talked before, manage it to be the culture you want it to be. No, Carl, I, uh, I completely, I completely agree with that. Um, you know, it is, it is up to the manager to, you know, kind of set the tone for, you know, how the employees are going to act and, and focusing more on what the outcomes are versus I need it done this particular way or else all hell will break loose. Um, I think is, is, is a far more effective management uh, style than, you know, just constantly hovering over virtually your, your employee's shoulder. Um, I think, and then this is just from my observations from what's been going on. I think what helps is, um, although you don't necessarily need to check in every moment, um, it does help to have occasional touch points with your remote employees. Um, I cite, for example, um, what happened with the uh, riots that were going on after the death of Am Ahmad Arbery. And traditional teams that used to be in an office together were now kind of dispersed. And, you know, talking to some of my, my colleagues, um, it, it felt like this was a very important touch point where while they weren't necessarily required to have that conversation about uh, race in America, uh, it definitely was something that they would have liked to have had to have felt that uh, their manager understands, you know, the, the, the things that are going on in the world, if, you know, for all of its, you know, complexity, and that they are here for them in any way that they, that they need. Uh, so, you know, as, as we said before, finding that, that fine balance between uh, micromanagement, but making sure that you have a, a good read, a good pulse on the well-being of your team is really important. And I think that sums it up to the employee experience. You know, as as a leader, you you're expecting, at least in, in your heart of hearts, you would want to know that your organization is providing the best possible experience for your team members, and knowing you know what what each of your team member needs on an individual level, and being able to reach down or, or, or reach into their lives and understand how you where where there's a gap and how you might be able to fill it uh, goes a long way in terms of you know being inclusive uh, for remote workers um, and and so that they feel less isolated thanks for tuning in to this episode of the CompTIA BizTech podcast for more information on CompTIA membership, communities, and councils, visit comptia.org membership. If you enjoyed this podcast, the greatest compliment you can give us is subscribing, sharing, and liking the broadcast.